0: My name is Jesse, I'm the youth pastor here at the church, and I'm going to be sharing this morning. Welcome to the uh, 11 o'clock service. I've had these several verses kind of running through my mind that I've been reading over and over again. There's more of them than I realized in the Bible that kind of talk about the same thing. That's what I wanted to speak about this morning. I had this one verse memorized. Years ago, I did Bible quizzing down in Pennsylvania. And we one year we memorized Acts one to eight. That's chapters one to eight, not verses one to eight. And um, we were good. We were really good. We actually got second place in the top division, and we were very close to first place. And I got the I got a question here that brought me into I set us up for a position win. That's how close we were. Still bothers me sometimes. <laughs> if you know, you know. That's quiz. I mean, I'm not going to explain it now. But we were set up for one, and we didn't quite get it. But we got second. And um, The question was coming out of Acts 7, I believe. It's Stephen speaking, and it was a situation question. And you have to ask, you have to say, who said it to whom, and the scenario. And it's, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And he's quoting a a verse from Isaiah 66. He's talking about, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. It's God speaking. And it gives this picture of like God using heaven as his throne, and he's got earth, he's got his feet propped up on earth. Um, and then I started looking at this some more, just past several, well, months, I guess, even a while back, but just recently I've been looking at it afresh, and I'm just coming across a, a lot of verses, actually, that talk about God as um, the earth here as his footstool. And he's bringing things underneath his feet. He's bringing enemies that cause underneath his feet. In Psalms 110, this is David speaking or writing. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Till I make your enemies your footstool, and so again, there's that footstool bringing the enemies under your footstool, and that thread is just common throughout a bunch of these verses here. So I just like to challenge you with these verses and just kind of take them one by one and see where we end up with it. I, I the the um, next verse I have is one Corinthians 15. I love how it starts; it kind of grabs your attention. One Corinthians 15:24 to right around 27 says, "Then comes the end." So you want to know what brings about the end? Here's what brings about the end. Then comes the end. When he capital H, Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. There's the under his feet thing again. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for, and then it quotes, he has put all things under his feet, and then it keeps going on. And there's that whole thing about bringing enemies under his feet. And so it's like God has this, or Jesus has this, um, to-do list, you could say. He has something to deliver to the Father. He has he has this um, kingdom, which is us, which is here on this earth. He has that to deliver to the Father once he puts all enemies under his feet. So it's like checking the boxes. The last of that enemy is going to be death. I don't know what that's going to look like exactly. They have death under his feet, but it's an enemy of God. And I, I'm not exactly sure even how to define quite all the enemies, but there's enemies that Jesus is putting under the feet of God. And there's going to come a day someday, which will bring about the end where he delivers the kingdom us as someone that's whole as a body that's whole with all the enemies placed under his feet under his control Um, and he's going to deliver this to the father have you ever asked yourself the question why doesn't he just do it because he has all authority he has all power he could just do it he could deliver to the kingdom. He could make it right, the wrongs right and deliver it to the Father because that's what is. we're waiting on. That's what's going to bring about the end. I think it has something to do with us. And I find that in um, Hebrews 2. So here's the same thing again. The writer of Hebrews 2 is talking about angels. And he's saying something. I don't know what the context quite... What brought about this conversation, but he's talking about angels and how um, there must have been a very high regard for angels, and he's talking about how Jesus actually is better than the angels because he's received an inheritance by dying on the cross, rising again, um, and he's made better than the angels, and then he's talking about what is our rule, where do we fall into place here, and so he says in Hebrews 2, I think it starts in verse 5, he says, for he, meaning Jesus, has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels so in other words the angels aren't going to be in control he says but one testified in a certain place saying what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him you have made him a little lower than the angels. And he's quoting here. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And that's us. That's a, that's a small H. Set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Again, a small H. Everything under our feet. Now he turns it on us. It says, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. So in other words, there's, there's, he left nothing out. Everything has the capability to be placed under his feet. That's how it's under our feet. That's how it's supposed to be. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So we don't, we don't see it yet, but that's how it's supposed to be. And then he goes on to say, but we see Jesus, and that's what we're focused on. And so here he turns the whole thing, and he says, here Jesus has this responsibility to deliver the kingdom to the Father, once all the enemies under, under his feet. But then he pulls us into the picture, and he says, who are we that we actually get to partake in this In this thing, but we do. We have this responsibility right alongside with Jesus to place all enemies under our feet, which is the same as putting them under Christ's feet. And so I believe, again, we have something to do with that delivering the kingdom to the Father. Oftentimes, more than I realize and more than maybe we realize. Um, It's like God's, He's showing us the end of the book. He's like, this is how it's supposed to be. All the enemies are supposed to be under the feet, not leaving a single one out. They're all supposed to be under the control, under the influence of, they're all supposed to be in subjection to God. But we're not there yet. But that's what we're supposed to do. And that's how it's going to end up, but we have work to do. It's like he gives us this inheritance, and I've talked about this before. Actually, most of these things I've talked about from all different angles before. This is probably nothing new to some of you, but um, he talks about it's it's like it's an inheritance that we've received. Really the same as when the children of Israel were just about ready to enter into the promised land. God's like, here's your inheritance. It's yours. But they had to go in and take it. It wasn't like it was empty. There were people in there that did not want them to take it. They had to take it over. Same is true for us here and now. We have an inheritance that's actually ours but well, we have to go in and take it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers. There's things that we're wrestling against that's there for us to take, but we have to cross the river and we have to go and take it. And it's there for us. That's the end right there when we place everything under the feet of Jesus, or under his footstool it's it's funny my i guess my main point here is i'm trying to inspire myself and you guys that we have something to do with this we often and i've i've, I've said this before and i wholeheartedly agree with it and it's been said before in here that you know with where we are in a con- in this country with our nation everything going on like we're not looking to a politician to right the wrongs and to, to bring us out of all of this. And the same is true for, you could say for a lot of different things, you know, with the church, this church, we're not looking to for our pastors to to bring us to a higher level spiritually. But at the same time, I'll go to the other side, How do laws get changed? God doesn't just reach down and change a law. He actually changes laws through people, through a politician or for for those of us who are voting. Same with the church. He grows a church through the leadership. The leadership has a lot to do with the growth of a church. And my main point is to just inspire myself and to you that practically speaking, You could say, well, we are looking for someone who's influenced by Christ to bring about change, whether that's you or somebody else, because God works through people. He actually limits himself. He chooses to do that. He could do it without us, but he's put himself in a position where he wants to work through us and he wants people to accomplish his will here on this earth, to bring things under his subjection or under under his control, under his footstool. So I've thought about this, like, what's keeping me back? You know, I know this. I feel like I know this in my heart. Probably most of you do know that we, we have this responsibility. And yet I get stuck, and I just kind of fall in this funk, you could say. And I'm not, I don't realize it, or I forget it. And I'm like, what, what's often holding me back? And I've kind of narrowed it down to, like, three different things that most of the time I can figure out. It's one of those three. When I'm in a funk, when I'm not moving forward, when I'm, I'm not placing enemies under his feet in some way, in some form, or I'm not on board with that, or just kind of living my life like surviving, you know, just just trying to do the next thing in front of me, um, and that's the last thing on my radar. There's something usually going on, and I've kind of labeled three different things that I kind of look at most of the time, and it's usually one of those three, and there's probably more, but I've labeled a couple here. The first thing is, oftentimes I look back, and I realize that if I'm not moving forward in growth, in what God has for me, in advancing the kingdom, and whatever part of society I'm involved in, oftentimes it's just because I label myself incorrectly. I don't label myself with how God labels me. You know, when he looks at us, we're clothed in Christ. He says, Jesus is speaking, I believe it's uh, Matthew 16, Mark 16, some, I think it's Matthew 16. Somewhere's in there, he says, until now you've asked nothing in my name, but there's gonna come a day when you're going to ask in my name. He says, you gotta ask in my name because he's basically saying you're here as me. You're asking as, as representatives of me. That's who we are here in, on this earth, right here in Penyan. We're representatives of Christ. We're seated in heavenly places, in a sense, where we are sons. We have received the inheritance. And I often lose sight of that. And it's very similar to the story of uh, in Gideon. And probably most of you know this story in Judges 6 and 6 through 8, I think is when it is. There's that familiar story of Gideon, he's in hiding, he's threshing wheat in a wine press because he's completely oppressed. They're trying to hide the food from being taken by the enemy. They're very poor. And suddenly an angel meets him. And it's just a funny encounter because the angel's like, remember what he says to Gideon? First words. He says, "Um, God is with you, mighty man of valor. (laughs) And Gideon feels anything but a mighty man of valor. In fact, his response is like exactly what my response has been many times where he's like, if God is with me, where are the miracles? Why are we oppressed like this? And I've, I feel like I've said that same thing. If God's with me, why am I not seeing any miracles? Like, why do I feel oppressed in some ways? What, what's going on? Why do I feel like down in, in, where I should be up here? And Gideon's saying the same thing where he's just like, right away he's got this response. I mean, he's it's like he's he been thinking about this for a while. He right away has this response for the angel. And you know what the angel's response is? It's, go in this might of yours. (laughs) He's like completely ignoring him. It's almost like, if you've watched the movie Jumanji, Jumanji, when they um, go to the island or wherever they are in the other world, and they meet the guy in the Jeep. Um, I forget what his name is, but he meets them. He has this... He has these lines, like he can't deviate from the script. It's like they ask him questions and he's just like, go and, you know, conquer this. And that's how I picture the angel here. We're like, it's almost as if when God sent him down to the earth, he's like, when you talk to Gideon, he's going to try and derail you. You're only allowed to say this, you know. It's like, that's what I see here. He's like, completely ignores him he just says go in this might of yours and that's how God sees him in that state but he's not at all like that right then and God has to bring him through this whole process of where he's patient with him he allows him to lays out lay out the fleeces and eventually he gets to that point where he overtakes the army that's oppressing them, and God's with him the whole way. But it starts with God seeing him very differently than Gideon sees himself. And the same is true for me. I don't mean in an arrogant way, but just in a a bold way where I can go and overtake the darkness that the enemy has wherever I'm around and place it under the feet of Jesus because of where I stand as a son of Christ. And I forget that. Second thing that often derails me is I stay offended. First of all, I get offended, and then I stay offended. And you can't help but getting offended sometimes. It just happens. It's just a gut reaction. Sometimes things happen you can't control, and you get offended. But you can... You can choose to stay offended or to figure out how you're going to get out of the offense, whether it's forgiveness, releasing. And if you stay in offense, you can get down this spiral pretty quick that can keep you from the power of what God has for you, whether it's offended at God or offended at people, offended at something someone did to you. There's so many different ways we can get offended, and that's often how we get derailed um, from where we're supposed to be. And there's, there's so many different stories. I've got two here. The first is this, this story in Acts um, Acts uh, 8, Samaria, or Philip goes to Samaria. He's a disciple of Jesus. He goes to this city, and the whole city comes to Christ. He's preaching to this city, and they're all getting baptized. They receive Christ. And so Philip calls Peter and John to the city because he wants to, them, the people of the city to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John come. They want to receive the same type of experience that they saw in Acts 2, and they hadn't seen that yet. One of the people that received Christ and was baptized was a guy named Simon. He was a, sor- he was a sorcerer in the city. And he sees what's going on. As soon as Peter and John get there, they start praying for people, laying hands on people, and something's happening. It doesn't really say what's happening in the Bible, but I'm assuming that there's probably spe- people speaking in tongues. Um, there's probably, you can see a power. It's probably very similar to what we see in Acts 2 because it's, 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 something's going on to where Simon says, I need that power. Give me that power so that whoever I, lay hands on, can receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a good prayer? Like if somebody was asking me that, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I mean, here you go. <laughs> you know, you, you want to give people that power, right? But Peter says No. He says, no, you're not receiving the power. And he saw something in Simon, and he he, he nails it. He says, for I perceive that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So there's something in there, something in Simon that Peter saw. I don't know how he did, but he saw something in there where he knew he couldn't handle what God had for him because of the bitterness that was in there. And that's what happens. It actually stops us from receiving what Christ has for us. We can put ourselves in that position, probably through offense, which eventually leads to bitterness. It's a tough thing to get out of. There's another story um, where Jesus is in the Gospels and he's he's in church and there's a guy in the front row. Probably most of you know this story or he's somewhere where he's very visible. There's someone there with a shriveled hand. And I don't know what his hand looked like, but it must have been like a raisin or something, just shriveled up. And Jesus sees it and he figures out that this seems to be a setup where it's Sunday and he knows that if he would heal this man on a Sunday, it, would not be, uh, it wouldn't be approved because that was considered work in that day. They've turned this Sabbath day, this gift that God had given them into a whole day of do's and don'ts and rules and you know, what's work and what isn't work and healing was considered work in their day. And Jesus just looks past all that and he's frustrated, he's angry and he sees this guy right here and he looks around the crowd. He knows what they're all thinking. They're like, is he going to do it? Is he going to push past this? Is he going to work on a Sunday? Or a Saturday, I guess it would have been then. If he's going to work on the Sabbath and heal this guy? And Jesus just says, stretch out your hand. And he stretches out his hand. It's like probably cracking and sizzling. And it like becomes whole right in front of everyone. I mean you'd think if that happened right here, if I just had someone come up and you saw a miracle like that that you couldn 't deny. I mean there's no way you can say it wasn 't like that before. you couldn 't deny it that everybody would just fall to their knees, but they didn't, and it brings like i 've often thought if this person I you know, come up with just a person, if this person would just see a miracle, they 'd come to Christ, and that might be true, but it might not. It just depends where they are. It could be to a point of offense where they could actually see a miracle right in front of you. And become offended because it's not quite how you imagined it would be. And it's easy for us to scoff at you know, the, the Pharisees here same thing happens to us all the time on all kinds of different things. I've seen that happen with speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues can be an offensive thing because a lot of people don't understand it. Um, it's It can be raw. It can be messy. Um, and so it's easy to become offended because it's not how you imagined it would be. I've prayed for people. I've seen people be prayed for. I've received prayer for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and spe- and I've spoken in tongues. And I've prayed for people who have spoken in tongues, who are shaking under the power of God and just out of their mouth comes this heavenly language that they never pre-thought. It's completely a language that's given to them in an instant. It's a miracle. It's changed their life. And I've also seen people who have seen that, looking at it, and they say, but there's no interpreter. That must not be from God. Or they're making it up. And you can put yourself in that position where you're missing a miracle that's right in front of your eyes that's no different than a man's hand being brought whole because of an offense, because it's not how you imagined it would be. Now, if you're someone who's just out of the integrity of your heart, you want to understand 1 Corinthians. 12, 13, and 14, what's that all saying with interpretation and everything? That's one thing, and God can lead you through that and and speak to you. And Penn has a lot of good material on that. But if you're another person who's just saying this is how it's supposed to be, there's no other way, it's got to be that way or it's not from God, you're close to that line, I would dare to say. You're close to that line of actually missing a miracle that's right in front of your eyes because of how you imagine something to be. You can become so offended that you can just completely miss a miracle, just like we see here. And so that's something that I, I have to watch is um, am I offended? Am I staying offended? How that you can miss the power of God if you're in that state. And the third thing is pretty simple it's just simply sometimes a lack of desire, or I give up too early. And that's huge to God. He wants a want to. In order to work with you, he wants you to want to do it, just like we do with anybody else. We want to want to. First Corinthians 12 or 14 says, earnestly desire spiritual gift. There has to be gifts. There has to be a desire there that God wants to see. And there's, a, there's just a couple examples here where, um, in the Gospels, I think it's in John. I don't have the reference here, but Jesus is talking to a man by the pool, and probably most of you know this story. It's the pool of Bethsaida, uh, something like that. And there's this cripple right there, and The funny, first of all, with this story, I've never understood this story the way that they say, every now and then an angel would come down and stir the waters of the pool. And if you would get in while the water was being stirred, you'd become healed of whatever disease you had. And then it just keeps on moving. It's like, wait, can we come back to that? Like, is that still going? That was like almost Old Testament when that was happening. And it's just like, it makes no big deal of it. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on here. But apparently that's what it is, where every now and then an angel would come down and stir these waters and people who were crippled, who had diseases, knew about it, and they hung out around that pool. And as soon as the water was being stirred, they'd jump in, and you'd receive healing. And so this man has been there. He's been trying to do that. He's been there for 38 years as a cripple, trying to get into the water. And Jesus comes up to him and says, Jesus knew he'd been there a long time. And he asked him this question. I don't know if he asked anyone else this question. I don't, maybe I'm missing it somewhere in the Gospels, but I haven't found it. And he says, do you want to be made well? He's he's like, "Do you want to be made well?" And I, I see. There's not a whole lot in this story, but there's something in here where Jesus ties that with him being there a long time or he, he must have figured he's been there long enough to where you would think he'd get a lucky break sometime or he could get in the pool at the right time and become healed. Maybe this guy had become so used to the condition he was in that it was his identity, that's who he was and he'd just become okay with it. I don't know but Jesus asked him this question, do you want to be made well? And the guy gives an answer and that's the beautiful part about this story is all you need is a little bit. He gives this answer well, someone always beats me to the pool and Jesus is like so I need to take your bed and walk Walk, and he's healed right then. But there's something in that story I think we can pull from where there's, there's some sort of, a I think, a lack of desire or maybe a comfort in your own with what you're used to to where he's living in that state for 38 years. I don't think he had to live there that long. I could be wrong, but uh, it just seems like there's some sort of a lack of desire there that Jesus sees. And there's another story, rewind back into the Old Testament, again talking about desire. This is a strange one. I still don't quite understand this one, but it has something to do with desire. And that's what God wants to see. It's in 2 Kings 13, right around verse 18, there's this king of Israel named Joash. And he has the Syrian army coming upon him. And he's feeling the pressure of the army. They look like they're outnumbered. And so he calls Elisha the prophet. And Elisha's just it's just a little strange. He like has him do these things. And he he's basically comes to Elisha and says, I don't know how to get out of this. Like we're we're we overtaken by the Syrian army. And so Elisha has him do these things where he like shoots an arrow out the window. And then he says, take an arrow and stab the ground. And so he stabs the ground three times. And Elisha's angry with him. And I've always felt kind of bad for the guy because it doesn't seem like Elisha tells him very many instructions. He just says, stab the ground. Oh, there he is. So he struck the ground three times and he stopped. And Elisha says, you should have struck it five or six times because for every time you strike was a victory against the Syrian army. And first of all, I'm like, well, that guy didn't know that. How is he supposed to know? But I think it was something with desire that Elisha saw that there, again, must have been a lack of desire. It seems like he was in a state where he just wanted Elisha to come and rescue him and pull him out of this bad thing. Elisha's like, no, you have to want this. You have to want this enough. You don't, you don't want it enough. God will help you, but you should have wanted it more. And the same is true for me where there's some things that I just, I need to want more to see the breakthrough. I was just talking with a couple of people from the youth group the other night, and I was thinking about it because we were talking about healings. And I was like, I don't actually remember the last healing that I saw in my life that threw me or have been near. I couldn't remember one. And I was so I went back to these things again so I was just studying for it. I think it's a lack of desire, to be honest, on my part. I think I've just gotten comfortable with where I'm at, and I haven't been pushing in or pursuing it. Um, I just I think I need to raise my want to somehow. So that's been kind of my prayer where like that's, you know, it could be possibly the first one where maybe I have lost track of my identity and who I am and the power that Christ has given me. Maybe it's a part of that one too. Um, But I feel like my desire had something to do with me not seeing that. Very much lately. And God wants to see that. He wants to see a desire. So, those are kind of the three things that I've narrowed down. We either label ourselves something differently, we get offended, we stay offended, or we simply lose our desire. And that's usually I can track down one of those three, three, three things that are keeping me back from pursuing the kingdom, from pursuing God, from seeing that in my life and whoever I am around. Um, it's like Ephesians 1 I like how it says this verse back to where we started again. It says in the New Living Translation, I like the translation here because of the way they start it. They say, and this is the plan. So you want to know what the plan is? Here's the plan. At the right time, he will bring, this capital H, will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. So he's saying there's going to be a day where everything comes together. Kind of like when he delivers the kingdom, there's going to be a marriage of heaven and earth. He just says, I will be done um, on heaven, or uh, the kingdom come on heaven as it is on earth, where there's a bringing together. And that's what he's working on. He's placing enemies under his feet for that day. There will be someday become a day. We often imagine it like nothing happened and nothing happened, and boom, suddenly that happens and, and we're there. I see it differently. I, everything I see about the kingdom is seed growth, it's slow growth. It's you putting a seed in the ground, this little mustard seed that slowly becomes the biggest tree in the garden, and trees or birds are resting in the branches of the tree. It's putting a little bit of yeast in a loaf and seeing the loaf grow and grow and grow, or not even a loaf, it's just putting a yeast in the dough and seeing it grow until it becomes a loaf. It's just this continual, continual, slow, but steady growth. And that's the kingdom in our own lives here where we have something to do, where God, in the Acts, you see God, the people did, and God confirmed. People did, God confirmed, and God wants to work with us in that way, where he limits himself, you could say, to um, working with us. He could do it a lot better himself, I'm sure. He has the authority, he has the power, but he wants us to be a part of the plan he wants us to be a part of the helps so that's what i wanted to inspire each one of you today i think we all have things in our own life that we can step forward and say god where do you want me to help where do you want me because it's just the question like i've asked myself this question a lot and i'll I'll ask it to you too sometimes we just need to think who's waiting on who is god waiting on us am i waiting on god i think more often than not he's waiting on us and he wants to work with us he he chooses to work with us he, he chooses to work with us in a way where oftentimes He won't work without us. At the same time, we can't move forward without Him. It has to be both. It has to be both. But oftentimes we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, and God's waiting for us. Let me stand. I want to inspire you with that this morning, just myself too, and um, just kind of think back over my own life and be like, where, where, well, let's do this. Let's start over. Let's close our eyes. We'll end with this prayer. And just thinking back, first of all, we know that the mandate, the original mandate of Genesis really never left us. There's things that God has set. He's set us over the works of his hands to place things under his feet. And so for our own lives, us personally, I just want you to think and ask the Lord. I don't know if I can accomplish this just in a Sunday morning, but just ask God, God, is there enemies that are in my life? Or do you have, is there enemies of you that are a part of my life? And what are they? I wanna place them under your feet. That's where you start, you always start with yourself. God. what's in my life that's an enemy of you? What's in my life that's against you? I'm going to place that under your feet. I'm going to start there. and Then I'm going to move forward. And Wherever I'm at in work or in church or just in life around here in Penyan, if I see an enemy of Christ, if I see something that's not of you, I know that's not how it's supposed to be because we know the back of the book. We know the end of the story. Every enemy is supposed to be placed under your feet, Lord. So I pray that you'd give us wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give everyone here wisdom and a boldness to move forward in a way where we can see those enemies, we can identify them, them, and we can can work with you to place them under your feet. And someday you have a kingdom to deliver to your Father. Lord, bless these people. Bless every single one of them this week. Lord, I pray that you'd give them opportunities, opportunities to be bold, opportunities to to place enemies under your feet, Lord. Bless them, Father. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for this beautiful Christmas season. God, I pray for it lastly, just the closeness of relationships with everyone here, with family and friends, that people would not be drawn apart in this season, but they become closer, become closer as a family. Same with this church body here. We become closer as a family throughout this Christmas season. Amen, amen.